Welcome everyone to um, Summerford's Women in Tech series of podcasts. Where I'm talking to people who identify as women who work in tech about their work and not about being a woman necessarily. Um, the aim is that you'll understand some of the challenges in the tech industry and what your peers are doing about it. And if you're thinking of joining the tech industry as a woman, um, you can check out these conversations on summerfordassociates.com, our podcast page, and you'll see that there are women out there doing some really interesting stuff. So um, you'd imagine my joy when I um, met Brigadier Sarah Sharkey, who heads up a delivery team within um, Defence Digital. Because if you're going to talk to someone who holds their own in a largely male environment, why not talk about that and go to the extreme by going to someone who has done that and held her own throughout in the army as well. So it's going to be really interesting. Thank you. Welcome, Sarah. Sarah or Sarah? Am I all saying it wrong? It's Sarah. It's fine. It's not Yay! Sarah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, you probably hear that so many times. I, I answer like, why they're now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, same with me and Annie, because I've yes. got an E. <laughs> and um, we're, we'll, what we'll do is I'll ask um, Sarah to go through her background and her role now. Um, we'll then talk about challenges that she's experiencing in the industry. Uh, what I mean, like technical challenges. Uh, not about being a woman and um, we'll end with some insights from her about being a woman in tech and what she advises us. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, Let's start with your background then. How did you get to where you are now? So uh, it's a little bit accidental I think, probably like many people I, I talk to. In fact I'm always struck by the number of senior women I meet who are in tech, I, not the number of them but the, the ones that I do meet. Uh, how, how, how many of them haven't come from a, a background which you might, you might have predicted. They've, they've normally come in through some fairly orthogonal, uh, orthogonal manner into technology. Now, I will confess to having been um, an ardent, passionate scientist from a very, very young age. Um, I was going to be the next Marie Curie, of course, and I was uh, fascinated by all things chemistry. That's cool. And, um, you know, did, did chemistry chemistry degree. Um, but then, then I got to my, uh, my thesis and... <laughs> After five weeks of standing in a lab watching test tubes change colour, I kind of thought, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> I decided uh, so, that was not your thing. Not, <laughs> not my thing. Theory. Not quite exciting enough. Uh, so I had a look around and there happened to be a visit that uh, week by the uh, Army liaison officer into our careers office. And the Army is a little bit like a, an escalator. You kind of put your toe on the end of the escalator. And the next thing you kind of, well, it felt like this to me. I arrived at Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy of Sandhurst, with my ironing board under my arm on what's called ironing board. Sunday and uh, uh, signed, signed up for three years and uh, I had intended to do three years to do something completely different you know shock shock and amaze all my friends and family that I'd done something so um, uh, unusual because I have no military connections in my family uh, apart from a little bit of national service from my dad uh, so um, uh, but I have found the career in an army in the army to be you're constantly evolving, constantly challenging, um, loads of new avenues. Um, many people don't realise this. You don't do the same job for 30 years. You do very, very different jobs throughout. So, you know, over that over that time, I had done everything from training phase one soldiers to being on operations in Bosnia and Iraq, commanding uh, uh, communications to force generation, force development through to uh, what I do now, which is run cloud and application services for Defence Digital. Also, 
few other big meaty jobs in there, commanded a regiment level, squadron level. So you get to do a huge variety of jobs in a huge variety of places. I've lost track of the amount of addresses I've had um, over that period. But it's um, every time you think about looking outside, something really fascinating comes up inside um, to keep you. But I've been lucky in that throughout that I've had the thread of technology uh, and IT in particular. Um, clearly, um, when I joined, um, it's almost embarrassing to admit that mobile phones didn't really exist. <laughs> and so that the whole digitization piece is something we've, we've had to grow up with and develop with. And it's where I've really found my feet in um, in the last sort of last eight years. Where I really specialized in, in cloud and applications. In the army, then, there's different, are there different like sort of sections which have so you can have a sort of technology section that you can go up through is that yeah so we have different cat badges and, and some of those cat badges are technical cores for example the, the raw signals where, where mm. i grew up um, but also the raw electrical mechanical engineers the raw engineers so we have some very technical cores but clearly you know some of the fighting arms the infantry uh cavalry those sort of um, those sort of arms and services aren't, aren't so technical mm. and and so they have a different side of warfare that they look at um, so there's many you always think of the army as a mini country, really. We have everything from chefs to to logisticians to to, to signalers. So, you know, you have the, the whole gamut of a, a small country within within the army. So there's lots of oppressions. That one uh, one amazing fact that many people don't appreciate is the army has one of the biggest apprenticeships in the country. Because most of our junior soldiers are on an apprenticeship of some form or another because they need to learn their trade. And we take people without any skills and become tradespeople um, very early on. But we take them from you know that zero to hero and that, that mastery, as well as you know, imbibing all the leadership skills and the, and the self-determination and those kind of... Um, it's wonderful for that, isn't it? it really it's huge. Is. Yeah. I mean, ex-service all... personnel, veterans and future employees are, yeah, they, sh- they should be given an automatic look because they'll have, have a resilience around them that it can't be trained uh, yeah. in many other walks of life. Yeah. I, I've certainly, we've had quite a few, we've got a military covenant in, in Summerford. Um, and even though the CVs are difficult to read, because you're like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It's worth interviewing to find out. <laughs> and then generally it's super impressive. Just have to translate it into civvy speak in a way. Um, so that's interesting. So Defence Digital now, and you do the cloud and app. So is that sort of like the internal support for all of the military's digital platforms? Uh, not not. Not for all yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So the team I've got, um, or the team I lead, um, it's not particularly nationally named Application Services and DevOps, was set up about six years ago to to really help defence journey into exploiting cloud services, mm-hmm. uh, but also bringing together some of the applications platforms that were a little bit orphaned um, uh, into, a, into a single team. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a model that will continue to iterate and evolve as we go forward. So we provide... Um, trying to move cloud and hosting up the stack so that uh, each different application doesn't need to provide its own hosting that we can mm-hmm. provide you know a, a we call it mod cloud you know generic ubiquitous cloud service for defense it becomes a lot more like your electricity or your water you wouldn't go and build your own electricity station in order to get electricity for your application project you just go and plug in the wall and it's kind of that kind of service we're looking at we're trying to move uh, trying to enable the um the frontline commands and the, the wider uh, departments in defense to be able to move up the, the the business stack really and to really focus on what they need which is the applications the data and the insights and the ai and the ml but they need that supported by a digital backbone yeah and so what we're seeking to do is to provide that most generic digital backbone in defence. Yes, yeah, so it's like the migration to the cloud that a lot of um, civilian companies are going through. But because you have to be far more secure, you've got your own cloud, the mod cloud. 
Uh, well, no. Um, so Mod Cloud is actually underpinned by both AWS and Azure oh, currently. So interesting. We put, um, we put controls, um, just put a few additional controls around, around those platforms. Uh, we we need to exploit hyperscale cloud in no differently from any other organization. You know that the uh, the the features of the resiliency, the capabilities within those platforms, and certainly for our lower classification levels, it's 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 a really good secure platform. No um, brainer then. Okay. It's a no brainer. So actually, it's about helping the 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 frontline people who who just really want to focus on using this app services to just dish off the management of the app to to you guys is that right yeah so instead of dish off the management of the underlying platform and the, and the monitoring and the services around it you know I, I i don't know about you but my experience is if people are responsible for their own application and their own data they tend to look after it a bit better oh interesting um, yeah so we, we we like them to be com- uh, responsible for their own compute and storage costs for example to make sure okay. they're managing their compute and storage costs and um, we like them to be responsible for their own data because it's their data in that mm-hmm. application and their own content and um, but we've got you've got numerous mechanisms to provide help and guidance and support for that that makes a lot of sense so um you have a team of like how many people help you with this so within uh, within my current team there's gusting about 400 i say 400 because it kind of veers and hauls depending um uh, depending on where projects are in their life cycle um because it's not just cloud that i do i also have uh, teams looking after the medical um, information services arena we do identity services we we do all the operational application services as well uh, i've also got a, a, an outstanding little team called njops um, currently who are a team of engineers who just go and do all the difficult things uh, in terms of <laughs> well yeah they, they, they have a, they have a ball but they work really hard and they have a, a very unique skill set which allows them to go and um integrate things together that aren't integrating whether that's on you know we had we had a few of them on the carrier just before it sailed just um, helping for some last minute sort of um, issues we have them deployed uh, all over the world moving bits of kit uh, and sometimes designing little things that will just allow different systems to interface together so they're kind of um they're the fixers um, yeah. of the team so they're they're a really exciting team and then a whole bunch of other bits and pieces as well within my team so that, that ebbs and flows all the way from design to delivery to operate of those live services yeah I always find it so impressive when I speak to people who've who've got roles like you. And when I say my team, I've got like a twenty or so. <laughs> You're like, oh, gusting four hundred. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting with uh, with a military career. So um, I'm currently a brigadier, um, uh, but I actually had more people under command when I was lieutenant colonel. Uh, when I was running, uh, when I had the privilege of commanding 10 Sigma Regiment, uh, the the regiment was over 500 strong, you know, set over five locations with people permanently put in operations. So uh, it's very much around the the, the role and where you find yourself and and what you're doing, rather than a span of command that necessarily goes to the rank. No. And and it's really nice with um, the the sort of support systems that you have for that. You know, you're not making up your HR systems. They're there. For you already. Anyway, this is an aside. Uh, it's just for me, really. I suppose maybe we can edit that bit out. Anyway, so um, what about the challenges that you're finding at the moment? I don't know if we can call ourselves post-pandemic yet, but um, perhaps with all of that tent, that sort of trying to move um, it more into the mod cloud model. I'm not sure what you're calling that program, um, and also dealing with post-pandemic. Is anything coming up that is particularly challenging? Yeah, you said something earlier, Anne, about 
a lot of the challenges, a lot of the a lot of the delivery models I'm using are, are no different, you know, moving to cloud um, than than the rest of industry. So, uh, in fact, uh, a lot of the, my team have skill sets are very comparable to to our industry colleagues uh, who are doing this, oh, and I have you know, government colleagues who are doing this elsewhere. We do have a, a few nuances around uh, cluttered, congested, and deployed, um, uh, and also you know the security threat uh, to defence, but. Um, in general, uh, so those challenges, are, so the issues are the same, the solutions are very similar, but therefore the challenges are also very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ours, you know, uh, this, these, are, these will, I'm sure, resonate. Um, you know, the return to the office, uh, how, how are we going to em- embrace the benefits of what we've learned over the, over the last 12 months? But how do we how do we make sure we've not missed out on some critical things? And, and, and certainly within with my own team, the thing we're going to be wrestling with is how do we make hybrid working work? Mm. Um, we've all been on conferences. I was on one the other day where half the room is on the laptop and half the room is in the room and it doesn't work because yeah. the people on the laptops can't hear everybody in the room or uh, they don't feel like they can have a conversation or they have a separate chat net going that the people in the room can't see. And so having... It works really well for transactional meetings where everybody has a little speaking part and it's an update or there's a kind of process to it. So my portfolio reviews work really well because one person's briefing, I'm asking questions and then people ask questions. Um, But when you're trying to have a workshop, brainstorm something, really understand the issues, it really doesn't work. Um, and uh, it's all those little um, little what I call nano connections that we're missing between people. Um, yeah. I, I, and I'm sure you know, how many of us have met somebody in the last 12 months that have been in your team for 12 months and you're shocked they're, I don't know, they're five foot two or six foot one because you had no idea because you've only ever seen them sitting down uh, if, you, yeah. if you have seen them before. It's and, so hard and, to bump into people and know what their mood is or to know how they're feeling or, you know, without yes you have to sort of almost arrange or it feels really rude when you're ringing someone and you're not like there's nothing serious no one needs to panic you're just calling for a (laughs) catch-up certainly um the culture in my team has been you know uh i don't know my own office you know i I use the same kitchen as everybody else and some loose and so you kind of have all those you become approachable because people see you every day and you stop and chat and you kind of you know share pictures of your dogs and whatever whatever else it is um uh, we've also got quite a vibrant running club which you also haven't been been able to do we tend to do lots of team meetings and socials which we've all had to do online so and it's normally those kind of meetings we normally have little icebreaker events we normally have little sort of group sessions so people get to know each other really well on a personal level and i and i'm concerned that there's a there's almost a kind of a, a, a long covid element here that's not about physicality it's about the mental health of business the, the business mental health mm. as to yeah how much loyalty how is that loyalty tested when we're, we're we're online and we're remote and we're not being part of that team ethos and if i relate this back to yeah our, the army you know all the evidence points is the reasons why soldiers fight um it's mostly for their teammates it's mostly for the people in their immediate team, their fire team, their section, their, their troop. Um, there's a little bit of back to queen and country, but that's not the primary reason why they'll get, you know, really fight fight as they do. Um, and, and that's a personal relationship. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get that hybrid working model is, even if we just have a big party once every four weeks so that everybody can just come and socialise and discuss. Um, but also we can get some of those more nitty gritty workshops in place. But on the other hand, I think, you know, productivity, work-life balance, um, just uh, just health in general, apart from the fact we'll sat down all day, um, even more so it feels, uh, has improved. And, I've, yeah. and you know, as a real opportunity, I think, uh, as well for around flexible working, you know, one of the things I'm 
I see a lot of, I've got very young children um, for, 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 for my age. It's an awful thing to say. But uh, I, so I see um, more firsthand as a senior leader what more junior women are going through when they're trying to have, you know, children in in, in early career or mid career, and trying to and, and fathers as well that are increasingly sort of taking on that, wanting to take on that sort of um, that 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 role, um, just trying to juggle that. Whereas the pandemic has shown us that we can work flexibly, yeah. and we can can maybe have a bit more of our cake and eat it than we thought we could. And so, therefore, you know, on that STEM front, how do we tap into that? How do we how do we how do we create roles that allow people to work in a way more flexible model which isn't around a full-time equivalent I mean, what does that what does that what does that even mean you know full-time full-time what does that mean 40 hour week you know what does what does that actually mean and I think we need to redefine that quite significantly yeah I, I'm so with you I'm just in, enjoying hearing someone express it far more articulately than I can <laughs> yeah and so um also perhaps there's there's this opportunity of increasing the 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 supply of technical talent by embracing that um, flexible working at the moment, because I guess there's quite a high demand for digital talent or people who are happy in this world. Yeah, the demand is outstripping the supply. You know, software is eating the world, um, whether that's gaming, digital twins, um, you know, everything is going online, all the business all businesses are going online, you know, so everything from web design to the back end of that, you know, the sort of digital marketplace is huge and the demand for skill sets in 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 there is huge. I've got a, a number of nieces and nephews and I say to them, just just don't do that. Go and do go and do software. <laughs> go go and be a coder, go and be a data analyst because you'll be you'll be you'll be employable and employed. Um, uh, but that comes comes with that huge responsibility because I don't think we've really got to the behind to the ethics of some of this, you know, particularly with the AI world. You know, if a piece of AI does bad um, mm-hmm. things, uh, whether that's an electric car or sort of an AI car knocking somebody over, who, who's at fault? Mm-hmm. You know, the manufacturer or the coder? You know, so there's um, there's quite a lot of responsibility actually in digital, uh, whether that's making sure services are secure by design from a you know, GDPR perspective or whether that's really thinking through the the so what so what so what of that bit of code and what and what it might do but yeah. ab- absolutely in terms of you know the demand versus supply is one of those challenges that we have at the moment there's not enough um supply to meet the future demand um and and yet we are missing out on half the population because i think it's something like 17 percent of females are in stem roles in the country yeah um uh, and how do we tap into that huge talent base and to make these roles just more attractive yeah and so if you have a positive kind of um message to leave us with having it's been really interesting to hear like what your kind of role is who your teams are how you even got here and like what you're grappling with and honestly the echoes are amazing to understand that 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 in the in your role and there are equivalents in um all of the industry people i've been speaking to is is pretty much the same sort of issues that we're we're all dealing with and we're on the same kind of cusp into crowd cloud and things um where what would you like to leave the listeners with so there's a message i i use a lot when i when i do talks because most of the talks i do particularly in defense tend to be to a a male audience of a certain age put it that way and um I always leave them with some statistics around the number of women who feel they have been, you know, consciously or unconsciously discriminated against, um, whether that's quite often it's paternalism as opposed to misogyny. Um, 
and I put those sort of stats up and I just ask everyone to just really think about your behaviours. Um, I'll give you, give you a couple of examples. So I, I fell out with the Women's Institute in the high street um, before COVID, clearly, um, when they had a raffle and they had um, a girls winner and a boys winner. And a girls oh. winner had a pink basket and the boys winner had a boys basket full of cars. From and the, the girls Women's Institute. Unicorns. Yeah, and it's, it's that sort of social conditioning really early that's having an impact. Even Amazon, if you go and buy a Kindle Fire, Mm-hmm. The and you you get to download boys go, boys apps and girls apps and I know this I bought both my girls uh, Kindle Fire at the same time a few years ago and uh, one of my girls much prefers um, you know, Paw Patrols and, and robot games than the other one so I put one down as a boy one down as a girl and you can imagine what they were the smorgasbord that turned up on their app, apps were pink unicorns for the girls and building apps for the boys and I just thought well we're why are we surprised that we have this disconnect when right from an early age, you know, even clothes in the shops, you know, the boys have got robots on and cranes and the girls have got butterflies. And, and But I feel it's got worse because of the tech industry in a way, because it's so much simpler to categorize and to mm-hmm. sort out your stock um, or um, angle the adverts. Yeah. And, that, and that speaks to your point about who, who's responsible for these things. And yeah, I mean, there's algorithms assuming uh, when you go into Google and you search something, I'll go, oh, you're a girl and you usually yeah. search this and therefore we'll feed you all of these things. Yeah. And you get the echo chamber um, and it just propagates it. It really does. And is how do we, um, I don't know about you, but I deliberately follow some Twitter feeds and the websites of people I really can't stand. Um, I, can barely, <laughs> I can barely read what they write, but I feel like I should just to make sure I'm puncturing my own echo chamber all the time. And, well, and I do, and I do yeah. it to my girls the whole time as well. Yeah, I say, where have you got that from? Why do you think that? have a look at this what do you think and I just tried to make sure they're kind of critical critically thinking so I think we all need to think critically mm. we all need to just really um, embrace technology but as technology and not as our guiding conscience yes okay use it as our tool mm. <laughs> stay in charge there <laughs> precisely exactly exactly if I could if I could have that same mantra of my own children's use of iPads that would be great but <laughs> I feel like I'm in charge most of the time but uh... <laughs> no that's really really interesting thank you so much and it's great to talk to you about um your your role and your background and, and thank you for spending the time for us because I'm sure you're extremely busy no thanks Sam it's been a pleasure hope you're enjoying our Women in Tech podcast series. At Summerford Associates, we are really passionate about platforming diverse voices. So check out summerfordassociates.com for the full Women in Tech series and follow us for more inclusive content in the near future.